Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight. Visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Claremont, Sunday, April first, nineteen forty-five. Udo caught the barest glint of light in the corner far under the rubble, but that was enough. A glint could mean metal. Metal could be traded for things or used as tools. He could pick a lock with a good nail, although he had a few sizes of those already. But most importantly of all, metal could mean a can or tin of food. Food that was kept fresh. Food that the rats hadn't reached. He had been lucky a few times, searching the bombed-out houses near the old office's headquarters. Grown-ups had picked through everything they could, but they didn't always look in the places Udo looked. Places under and behind. Places where things could fall, tumble, roll, and be forgotten. It was a tight squeeze but he didn't want to leave and bring back anyone smaller. That would cost time, and with every trip through the streets, he risked being caught by a patrol. He was too young to be drafted into the army, but his brother had only been fourteen when they drafted him last year, and the German army was far more desperate now. Udo put nothing past them. Worse still than the army, though, were the clean men. Udo feared them the most, both for himself and the others. So Udo had to be smart and go for the food now. He was responsible for all the other kids. After all, he was the oldest. He was ten. He slid forward on his belly over the dusty floor, head down. He let his fingers see for him, arms stretched out in front to check for protruding nails or broken glass. Whatever bomb had landed nearby had blown out this wall along with a heavy cabinet and some of the ceiling overhead. He felt drips of water, and who knew what that could be? Maybe a spring rain outside, or an old tub on the gutted floor above, leaking out its last bath one drop at a time. Closer now, he risked a look. He saw the shape. It looked like a tin. His stomach gurgled aggressively. He wanted that tin to contain everything. Sausages and bread and cake and every vegetable he had ever spit back at his vanished mother. He heard the shuffling and froze. He listened for more. Were their feet? How heavy and how fast. A person could make the floor creak. Anything else? The sound came again. A small, fast patter. A rat. Udo steadied his breath. Almost everything and everyone that still lived in Nurdhausen was hungry. And you couldn't trust a hungry rat. The thought of being gnawed on by a hungry rat while trapped under this rubble was the kind of horror Udo couldn't afford. He had to be brave for the others. Again he slid. Again he stretched. Again he reached and his fingers brushed the corner of the tin. 
Udo fought the agony in his stomach and gathered it toward him. He looked again, and... Miracle! A second tin was behind it, both sealed, both full of meat, enough to give a healthy morsel to every one of the others. No one would be full, he thought, but at least no one would fight. With the extra fear now of losing this blessing and the blind worry of that rat somewhere behind him, Udo started to slide backwards out of the rubble, trying to remember every obstacle he had shimmied around. He risked a look behind and saw that his feet would soon be free of the rubble. No sign of the rat. Perhaps it had found something simpler or more dead to chew on. But Udo could not will himself to slide any further. He had a sudden dread that the moment his feet appeared, someone would snatch him at the ankle and drag him out. A soldier, a crazed street person, one of the wretched, starving ghouls they brought in to work at the factories. Or one of the clean men. Someone was out there, but Udo had heard nothing. They had crept in quietly, in sock feet. They had crawled along the ceiling or the walls. His fear overran any explanation of how someone could be there. He only knew that someone was there, waiting to grab him. Udo shuddered, and suddenly this dangerous task of rubble became a shelter, privacy for Udo to fight against inexplicable tears. He hugged the tins of meat to himself, while voices deep in his mind screamed that he could just stay warm and safe under here forever and keep all the food to himself. Then a resolve took hold and grew. He would go. Whatever was out there, Udo would go. He would scream, he would scratch, he would fight them, and, and that was all. So, fists bald and quivering, Udo slid backwards, poking out his feet. He listened, and it was silent. Nothing grabbed him. Udo felt taunted, grew angry, and defiantly slid further out, giving them all his legs below the knee if they wanted to grab him. Still nothing, just his own breathing. Further now, his waist free, and still they would not take him. Udo was enraged and shouted, Swine! Swine! I hate you all! He scrambled and pushed his way out from under the rubble, dropping the tins as he sprang to his feet and held up his tiny fist for a fight. He was alone in the room. His lungs heaved, and the anger charged through many conflicting thoughts before it washed away. Udo, they have tricked you. Udo, you are a coward. Udo, they were never there. Udo, they are outside. Udo, they are outside. Still possessed by the rush of fatalism, Udo wiped his eyes and nose, picked up the meat tins, stuffed them in his shirt, and prepared to fight all the trolls of the forest, if that's what it took to get them back to the other children. Creeping to the door, he looked through the keyhole. And the streets were empty, except for a little girl he had never seen before. 
staring right back at him. Udo lost all caution and charged out the door. What are you doing? he hissed. She continued to stare at him quizzically. He grabbed her hand and dragged her out of the exposed daylight and into the shadow between buildings. She looked seven at most, pale and hungry. Neither of those was unusual right now, but Udo had never seen her before. Still, how could she not know common sense? You can't be alone out here in the day, he hissed. She still didn't speak, but her eyes studied him. She looked at him from head to toe. Udo thought suddenly of a dog sniffing a stranger, only she wasn't using her nose. She was looking for some sign he was a friend. Hey, he said, I found some food, but we can't eat it here, and you can't tell any grown-ups about it. If you come back to the others with me, you can have some. Normally that would be enough, because for anyone with their kind of hunger, the promise of food overcame so many doubts and fears. But, though he could clearly see that some part of her was desperate and alone in the same way as the rest of them, she still did not commit. So finally he did what he used to see the grown-ups do in the days before the sirens. He stuck out his hand and said, My name is Udo. Something shifted at last, looking at some space in the air over the top of Udo's head. The little girl suddenly smiled and offered her hand. Claramont. After she shook his hand, she didn't let go. Udo led her back to the hiding place, though not directly. He undertook many sudden turns and reversals. Grown-ups could not know how to find them. Udo stressed that urgently with every child, and he couldn't fail that example. Several times she said, They weren't there. Udo couldn't risk conversation as they moved, so he hushed her every time. Thankfully she didn't get annoyed or petulant, and followed willingly, even eagerly. Finally they reached their shelter in the back of an old dressmaking shop. Not many people were buying dresses in Nordhausen anymore, and many of the neighboring buildings had been damaged in the last raid. As always, Udo counted the children first, thirteen of them, including himself, fourteen now with Claremont. Many of them had augmented their clothes with fabric from half-completed dresses, and a few remaining bolts of cloth were much sought-after sleeping spots. The kids crowded around Udo, and he asked quickly if everyone was okay, and if any grown-ups had been seen. Normally, now would be the time to introduce Claramond, but the other needs came first, and the others understood everything about Claramond they needed to know. That she was a hungry child, and Udo had found her, and that made her okay. He produced the tins of meat, and the children cooed with gratitude and wonder for a moment, before the keening, yawning hunger started to take hold, and they clamored for their share. Udo pressed them to line up and wait, 
shoving and shouting when he had to. Then he carefully turned the tin key to open the meat. The scent hit them all at once, and he heard more yearning whimpers. But they kept to their line, and one by one Udo handed them a morsel, which they eagerly shoved in their mouths. Chew slowly or you'll get ill, Claremont said suddenly. Udo looked at her with confusion. How could she expect such niceties here? And besides, that was a grown-up myth, like when they answered requests for more candy with the tale of Hansel and Gretel. Finally, the last morsels in the second tin were for Claremont and Udo. She held hers in one hand, sat herself down and smoothed out her ragged dress with the other before taking careful, appreciative bites. Thank you, Udo, she said. And to Udo's shock, a couple of the other kids sheepishly chimed in with appreciative sounds. You got parents? Udo asked. It was a harsh question, but automatically the first one under the circumstances. They couldn't afford to share with someone who had anywhere else in the world they could go. She shook her head. The army men took Daddy. Mommy was sick and said that if she couldn't make it, it sh I should go to my aunt's. So I went, but they weren't there. My aunt or my uncle. Do you know where they are? Udo shook his head. This was enough story for him. You can't be alone out there. Kids are being put in the factories now in some places, or the army. And the clean men, piped one of the younger kids, clutching a blanket around himself. Udo turned back to Claremond. Right, and that's the most serious. You can't let the clean men find you. Who are the clean men? They look for children and take them away. They eat them, offered the blanket kid, both terrified of the idea and sure it was true. Be quiet, they don't eat kids, Udo hissed back. Although he knew he had no way to prove that to them and, far deep down, he could tell he still thought it was possible. You'll recognize them because they're always dressed really nice and look like they've just come from the barber and they smile. No matter what they're saying, they have these big smiles. When they take you, no one ever sees you again. He watched Claremont consider this very serious information, and finally she nodded. I understand. Stay with us, Udo said. We take care of each other. I will. They settled down for the night, and Udo helped clear out a space Claremont could have just for herself. Already she had taken with a couple of the other children, and they seemed to like her. Udo knew that sometimes the only way to get the smaller kids to get over their terror and do something was to make it seem like a game. Claremont seemed to have a way of not just believing the game, but in making them all believe that all of it was a game. Does anyone here tell stories? she asked. Udo shook his head, and she responded. I could tell stories, if it will help. I can't tonight, because I'm tired. 
But tomorrow... Udo nodded in agreement. It might help. He turned to leave, and she said, I have a secret. He turned back, and she pulled down a corner of her dress, revealing a mark on her shoulder. It was several dark, round shapes, which together looked almost like a paw print. It's my twin sister's hand. She died, but she holds onto me hair. That's what my mom says. Sometimes my sister whispers things to me. Today she told me I should go outside. And I found you, and she says that you're okay. Before he started watching the others, Udo had reached the age where he scoffed at kids' fantasies. But survival had forced a new rule on him. He didn't question someone's fantasy, as long as it didn't cause trouble. So, in case this all came up again, he simply asked, What's your sister's name? My parents never gave her one. She says she has one, but she hasn't told me yet. And with that, she offered her hand to shake. Good night, Udo. Udo shook Claremont's hand, and then was awake most of the night, thinking about where to search for food the next day, and the clean men, and Claremont, and her sister. Monday, April 2nd, 1945 Claremont came with him the next day, and understood better how to stay quiet and out of sight. They saw grown-ups doing much the same thing, hiding furtively in the shadows, scavenging. They saw thin, sad silhouettes in windows, ducking at any sound from the street. Something about her seemed lucky. Before the sun was even high, they found a small nest of eggs. Udo puffed out his chest and declared that normally he wouldn't steal eggs from a nest, but he had to for the others, and Claremont nodded solemnly and kept the eggs safe in the pocket of her dress. In an alley they heard footsteps, the crisp clop of good shoes on grown-ups, who weren't hiding or hurrying. In the new Nordhausen this was the most verisome possibility of all, and Udo pushed his way through the nearest door and dragged Claremont in after him. There they found a window, and peeked fearfully over the ledge of it from the floor. Two men appeared in the window frame, looking not at them, but straight ahead down the alley. They were polished all over, and the tight, smooth skin of their faces made Udo think of reptiles, but reptiles didn't smile like this. One started to turn his head, and both Udo and Claramont dropped to the floor, their hearts pounding. One of the men spoke, but it didn't seem directed towards the children's hiding spot. Good morning, children. What a beautiful day. Children should be playing on such a day. We have a lovely garden to play in, safe from the army, safe from everyone. And food. Such good bread and jam. We know you would like it. There is so much to fear on these streets. The rats, the bombs, and the wicked cold. We want only to help you, all you wonderful, special children. Come out, 
so we can see you. Udo and Claramond didn't move until long after the clean man's footsteps had stopped echoing off the alley walls. That night, long after the children had been accounted for and fed from the meagre findings of the day, and all the rumours and alarms about the people they had all seen on their rounds had been examined, Claramon gave Udo an expectant look. Udo was torn about whether to share their sighting of the clean men. The children didn't need any more fear than they were already carrying, and yet parts of him argued that they needed to know that maybe it would make them more focused and cooperative. But before he could speak, Claramond announced, I have a story to tell. He punctuated this with a very certain nod, and some of the other younger children responded automatically by sitting near her, ready to listen. Her story was long, and she stopped frequently with a troubled frown as she tried to recall how it all fit together. But it was a very good story, about a stag in the forest with a silver foot that could make the shiniest jewels spring forth from the ground by stamping it. She spent most of her time describing the many, many colors of the jewels, glimmering emerald green, rich and dazzling ruby red. Her face scrunched up with intense feeling at each color. When the story was done, the children looked more soothed and calm than Udo had ever seen them. They fell asleep all around Claramont, the two youngest bracketing her in their little arms. Tuesday, April 3rd, 1945. Claramond came with Udo again to search for food. The whole time, Udo felt a nagging urge to say something, though he didn't know what. He told her about the factories, which were to be avoided, and how the planes might bomb any place where there was army men. The planes might bomb any building, but the ones with army men got bombed the worst. She listened to all of this, but never seemed to respond to the information. Instead, Udo felt her gaze on him like an itch. He felt like he was being studied, but whenever his irritation rose, she would smile, and he seemed to calm and refocus on their hunt. They passed the old schoolhouse, and Udo suddenly noticed that Claramond was not at his side. He turned around and saw her standing on the sidewalk once again, foolishly exposed to the elements, head cocked in the way he remembered from their first meeting. More frustrated than scared now, Udo stomped back and took her hand. Come on, he insisted. But she turned to him and whispered, of the Bet Shamashstrasse, my aunt's house is there, with old flowers in the window. It hasn't been broken into, and there's food. You should take the others there. And then she hugged him, little fists clenched tight as her arms circled his neck. You have to go now. My sister says they want to help me, but I don't know if they would help you. 
Udo stood still, confused, until she repeated in a high-pitched shout, Go! At that moment, Udo saw two of the clean men appear from around the corner. His first impulse was that he had to get Claremont away, to seize her and carry her off, if that's what it took, in spite of this queer mood that had overtaken her. But as he reached for her hand, the feeling disappeared. Her stance on the ground suddenly seemed firmer than a statue's. And so, not knowing completely why, he whispered, Thank you, to the girl he had known only two days, and stole away. He found a safe vantage point to watch, as the clean men, calm and unhurried as always, approached her. One leaned down and grinned right in her face. What a beautiful little girl you are! Claramon again treated him with initial silence as she watched the air around them both, waiting to know what she should do. The clean man continued, Are your parents here? We can take you to them, if that's where you belong. Finally, Claramon spoke, You want to help me? The clean man nodded and spoke with exaggerated exuberance. Yes, little one, yes! You can see it, can't you? It's around you, like colors. Yes, we have been looking everywhere for you. We have a school for special children like you. We can teach you to see more colors, more brilliant colors. The world will be like a sparkling rainbow. You will see jewels everywhere. Does that sound nice? Claramon waited, listening for certainty. She knew their desire to help was sincere, down to their bones. But there was something else, something she didn't understand. The clean man looked around him and whispered with playful conspiracy. And your friend, the hiding one, does he want to help too? Claremont fixed her gaze on him. You can't help him, not like you can help me. I'll go with you, but you have to leave the others alone. The clean man put his hand over his heart. On my honor, little Fraulein. He held the hand out for Claremont to take, and suddenly her face registered shock and an unimaginable delight. Udo heard her shout, and she knew she was calling to him. Katarina! She just told me! Her name is Katarina! Udo watched as she took the clean man's hand, and, walking between them, strolled away calmly and politely. Udo felt a strange, thudding pain in his guts a fierce sadness like the morning of death. He carried it with him back to the hideout, and for long after. But he led all the children to the house Claremont had told him about. Picking the lock on the rear door, he brought them all in. It was a luxuriously warm and safe, and had food for weeks that Claremont had moved from the larder to hide in a closet. And somehow... Even as the children hunkered down in fear that night, hearing the wail of the raid sirens and the deathly low drone of the returning bombers, Udo knew they would be safe here. 
because of Claremont. No, because of Katharina. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight, visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle. Read by Thomas Viborg Thune.